I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, for those that are just joining us right now, my name is, uh, my name is Ty Roxon, and I run a diversity, equity, and inclusion firm. I'm also an author and speaker, so my job is to go into institutions to help them figure out how to create inclusive environments while, you know, instituting anti-racist and anti-biased policies. This week has been quite the, uh, the, the challenge, but also it's also left me hopeful for what the future brings. And today I have a buddy of mine uh, and we're going to be uh, <laughs> discussing a few things that happened during the week. But let me tell you a little bit about Joey Otank. Now, Joey is an educator turned law student, blogger, and photographer. He's passionate about education, social justice, and storytelling. And when he's not studying or putting together social justice workshops, as he's been doing this week, he spends his time reading books, cooking, and video games. Now, here's Joey. (laughs) Hi, y'all. Hello, hello. Brief context here. Joey's Ghanaian. I'm Nigerian. And Mm -hmm. uh, we have this competition. I mean, they... (laughs) They think they have the best jello fries, but you know, we do. It's not really a competition. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, I just, I just got to say, uh, kudos to the work you've been doing. I mean, if you don't know, thank you so much. If you don't know the work he's been doing, he's been putting a lot of great actionable things for people to to do right now in our new civil rights movement. But I want to give you a chance to talk about how this week has been for you. What's been going on? Yeah, so it has been. A whirlwind week. I have never experienced so much change, specifically on social media in such a short period of time. Um, I started out the week with, uh, obviously, with so much tragedy, which, which all the things that have gone on um, all at once and so many feelings of despair and hurt and harm and grief and mourning. Um, and then amplified with this call um, to get active. I think because of this pandemic and people being sequestered at home, they haven't had the opportunity to um, be distracted by other things. I think there's a steady call and move to get engaged with what's going on. So for me, I was like, what can I do? I'm doing this summer internship um, through my law school, uh, working for the freedom of the press, which means I'm not allowed to go to a protest. I'm like, you can't restrict me. But um, I was like, what can I do to engage? I have to say something. This directly impacts me and so many people who look like me. So what can I do? I've got social media. I've got this graphic design. And I know how to do some social justice lessons. Let me uh, take some basics and put them into a format that people can engage with. I think for me, uh, creating these social justice lessons and these infographics was a way to call people into a conversation that they've always been invited to. 
Right. Yeah. Right. And, I, and I've been following them. They've been amazing. And it's like you, it's the same for me. I already, you know, was doing diversity, equity, and inclusion, but this felt amplified. I'm sure the same with you. Absolutely. Once this happened, my inbox <laughs> was flooded <laughs> with, with so many people. Yes. With events. Uh, but what I felt though was anger. I, I remember when I put out that call, I, mm. I, was on, I put out something on Instagram and TikTok and I think it was after maybe the hundredth message or so that I had gotten. And I said, if, if you want <laughs> to know what to do, or if you want mm-hmm. to, out to do this, um, I'm going to show up on Monday, um, show up. And, and basically if you don't show up, I don't want to hear anything else. Mm-hmm. And I just remember I, I was, I was really angry because I just, I just, a part of me was wondering why did it take this long? Right. Yes. That's, that's the natural emotion. Mm-hmm. The other part was like, okay, maybe there's a chance, maybe there's a chance this time. Mm. So, uh, it's like a, a, weird, a weird call to action, but here we are, here we are seven days in seven days into June. And we have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the questions, first of all, are centered around allyship. And a lot mm. of people are trying to wonder, you know, they're wondering rather what to do to make sure they're not causing more harm and they're not mm. being more performative. What Absolutely. are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a big question. I think um, we have to think about why are we doing what we're doing? I think our definition of allyship has to be active. Um, ally to me is a title bestowed upon you by someone with a marginalized identity um, for the work that you're doing to dismantle your position. It is being on top of a tower and trying to knock that tower down until uh, you've equitably brought up those who have been marginalized. For me, um, it is using our positionality to move those who've been disenfranchised forward. I think it is constantly doing work. It is not just, I'm a friend, I support you, I'm here in spirit. It's not just thoughts and prayers. It is, I'm actively dismantling the system that I'm benefiting from. That to me is a difference. Yeah. And, and, and look at that. I think, I think with good allyship, because a lot of people are wondering when is enough. The thing that you have to understand, the first thing you have to understand is to be careful of the emotional burden that you're passing on. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make sure that people understand, for example, what you and I decided to do this week. Mm-hmm. It's not our job, right? No. It's not our job no. to do that. So there is a natural urge to go into people's DMs, and it's well-intentioned. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not that. But but when you approach it in a way where you say something like, I've been crying, I'm emotional, I can't believe we're here, mm-hmm. think about the fact that that person that you're reaching out to is probably dealing with that three times, four times. Yes. Dealing with that. And that, by the way, if you're wondering about causing harm, that you're basically then saying, Hey, you need, even if that's on your attention, it's like you're causing mm-hmm. harm. They now have to worry about carrying your burden yes. and, and, and dealing with that. And it's like, oh gosh, I'm already dealing with this. And I know you were checking in on me, but then you dumped your emotional burden mm-hmm. on me. And, and oh so, so that's one of the ways yes. to cause harm. Uh, I, I very much resonate with that. I think about um, absolution and this like idea of like forgiving people of their guilt and this like very like um, religious deity kind of um i don't know perspective and that's what yeah. it feels like i'm like i sometimes i feel like white folks want me to absolve them of their guilt their white guilt and i'm like that is not my job like take that up with your higher power that is between you and who whatever you believe in right, right. um like what i'm looking for from you is uh companionship in dismantling the system that has been oppressive that's it i want you to do the work do your work as a person do your work in your communities do your work in your organizations that's going to help me. You telling me about how you feel, 
wow, it's well and good. I'm glad you're moved. Um, but I've had to compartmentalize so many feelings in my life um, for the duration of my life. So you sharing yours with me doesn't do me any good. Right. That's one. So that, that that's one way. And then the other way, if you want to become a really good ally, is, is to think about this is exactly what Joey's saying. It's it's if you have to be systematic with your approach. You know, mm-hmm. we, did, we did a lesson. Day three was on white supremacy. And I, mm. I saw that based on the audience, a lot of people hadn't understood that white supremacy is much more than Nazism or any of that. And so what it means to be a good ally is to then understand the power of your privilege. So Mm -hmm. there are institutions around us, education, which is what this week is going to be about institutions, education, you know, religion, any of these things, schools, techs, all these things, um, media. How can you, given what you're now becoming aware of, Ensure that you are vigilant enough to make sure that the system doesn't go on as is. That that mm-hmm. is that is what it is. And then it's listening and researching. And the thing that I want to really stress with allyship is that when you're you're listening and researching, is that the the research is is a lifelong thing, right? It, mm-hmm. it, this my hope is that this doesn't last for the duration of COVID or just June or just this week. It's that you have to constantly learn it. I'm sure Joey's still learning stuff. Yeah, I'm still learning absolutely. stuff all the time. And mm-hmm. It's about staying extra vigilant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then as we've done a lot of reflection this week, one thing to reflect on is, you know, when you're centering yourself, mm-hmm. I think every, everybody knows that, you know, that if you find yourself feeling like if I do this, this is going to make me feel good. Mm. And I'm not judging you. I just mm-hmm. want you to be honest with yourself. Then you know that there's a, there's some performance there. All right. Yeah. You know? If I take this picture with this person, it's going to make me look good. If I put this thing on Instagram, it's going to make me look good. If you feel that there, you know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. I think about, um, I guess, activist and scholar W.E.B. Du Bois has this idea of double consciousness, which is the ways in which um, black folks have to understand not only their culture, their beliefs, their attitudes, but also that of white folks in a white supremacist society. Yeah. And the reverse doesn't go, uh, it doesn't go both ways where white folks don't lose any social capital for not knowing about black culture. I, uh, we're both from the continent of Africa and yeah. the narrative of this entire continent that has been subjugated. Uh, I was just talking to my dad about it where, um, our depictions of an entire continent of, uh, so many different countries and cultures and languages is limited to this revisionist history that we've yeah. uh, been forced to learn. Yeah. I remember the first time I talked about the continent of Africa was in sixth grade. We talked about um, the Europeans came and they found uh, my ancestors on the shorelines. We weren't doing anything. We we're just hanging out. They said, hey, you want to get on this boat? You want to go for a ride? Cool. We went. And then we never talked about it again. And so yeah. for me, we've missed out on so much information. And I think uh, we have to keep doing that research. There's so much yeah. more to learn. I think counter narratives are central to doing this work. If you don't know the history and the lineage of white supremacy and the subjugation of Black folks, you are missing a critical part of doing this work. Absolutely. So the steps are you have to know your history. Mm-hmm. Then you have to know the role that you play in white supremacy. And then you have to act. And I want to make a quick point white supremacy. I think a lot of people think it's just um, non-black. Uh, it's just white people that can participate in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. White supremacy is a system that centers whiteness as the standard, right? That's, yes. how, I define, that's how I define mm-hmm. it. So if you're thinking beauty standards, if you're thinking, don't bring this person home, this happens in a lot of immigrant you know, families. You're from mm-hmm. Ghana, I'm from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. We've heard this, the, the uncle saying, don't be like those type of black people. Don't be mm-hmm. like those type of black people. There are many 
South, Southern Asians who would say, hey, I like watching you on TV, but don't marry my daughter. Mm-hmm. Right? Or there are people that you know have perpetuated the idea of light skin being the better standard. It yes. happens in every community. So mm-hmm. that's what we mean by white supremacy. And so yeah. when you then know the history, my frustration coming into America was that black history was taught as if it was only from slavery and colonialism, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so when you do that, what you're doing unconsciously is basically telling black folks that they're, they're really nothing. And mm-hmm. a lot of white folks are like, oh yeah, I mean, all the, the cool things that happened came from us. And mm. so you dehumanize people. Yes. Yes. And, and, and that's the danger of that. And so this week when we're, when we're discussing education, that's something I'm going to challenge the audience to do is to how mm-hmm. to hold their education institutions accountable. Ooh, I wholeheartedly agree. I, my sophomore year of college, my faculty member, um, I took a religion and race class mm-hmm. and we talked about white supremacy as a uh, the most successful global racial project of all time. And I think that's something that we always forget. It's, we talk about, uh, race and racism, like it's going to be different if I'm in the minority. Like you might be in the minority. If you go visit Ghana, okay, yes, you as a white person will be in the numeric minority, but your ideals, your ideas, your um, understandings of history have still pervaded and um, been spread across the entire continent, across the entire world. Uh, yeah. I think we see it with skin lightening and skin bleaching and colorism, right? The closer you are to whiteness, the better you are as a person. That stems from enslavement. That is a clear um, way that we've seen this trajectory go through. Mm-hmm. I think about the Hamitic myth, the myth of Ham, um, where, you know, in the Bible, Noah um, and his sons, uh, after the great flood has wiped out the whole world, uh, Ham is hanging out and he sees his dad naked. He doesn't go cover him. And so his brothers tattletale on him. And then uh, Noah curses him to walk the earth. And that is where um, he's supposed to walk the earth in toil and become darker skin, which is the idea of uh, what Europeans use to justify enslavement. Yeah. So there's even uh, a strong connection to Christianity um, and white supremacy. So I think if we're not seeing those linkages and that history, we are missing a profound part of what has gone on for so long. Absolutely. South Africa, when apartheid was there, it was in, in, you know inculcated into the school systems. Germany during Nazism, it was, you know, there was the Aryan race promoted. These things are so systemic that mm-hmm. as generations go uh, older, we forget that we haven't updated <laughs> the systems. Um, you know, Hollywood or anything. I, sometimes when people tell me that person is beautiful and mm. I always say, why? Tell me, tell me why that person is beautiful. Mm. Like, oh yeah, well the nose and the, you know, mm. yeah, I'm like, wait, what's wrong with the other nose? But mm-hmm. even this comes from all races, by the way, yes. it's something that we're so conditioned to thinking. Mm-hmm. And another point is hair. I, you know, it's sometimes oh, many people are not used to what black hair is, right? With mm-hmm. natural hair, you know, and all that. And it's interesting for me to observe here when you come into, you know, America, you look at the school systems. And in, by the way, I went to boarding school in Nigeria. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. I was, you know, forced to cut your, cut my hair mm-hmm. low because if I grew it, I'm like, you're, you're, you're like a, one of those thugs. That's what mm-hmm. they would say. And, and Absolutely. how do we get to the point where we're saying growing your hair naturally Ooh. is not a good mm-hmm. thing? But mm-hmm. other races can grow their hair naturally. Absolutely. Right? And that's perpetuated on all sides. So we yes. have to be very mindful of that. That that's that's one of the things that that happens. Uh, I'm seeing Charlene say the, the white doll test. And even with the toys, with the media, the things we watch, the things that we are exposed to at an early oh, age, don't think those things beautiful. Um, it's very hard. 
Yeah, I think yeah. there's so much um, education that needs to be done. Um, and it starts with kids. I think uh, there's yes. a Nickelodeon um, incident this week where there's such a strong backlash from certain communities, let's say uh, white suburban communities who were really um, scared of uh, showing this message of this is what's going on, we're taking a break. Um, and why are you talking to our kids about this? Yeah. And for me, that was just such a, like a, like a stab in the, in the heart and the gut. It yeah. hurt because I remember the first time I talked about race vividly. It was my parents talking to me when I was four, getting ready to go to kindergarten. The next day, people may not like you because of the color of your skin. I don't, I don't understand why. I go to school the first day. I'm on the playground and nobody plays with me. I, I go home and I cry. I'm like, like, like mommy and daddy, what is wrong? Like, what's wrong with me? Why did God make me this way? Right. This is, that's how deep it goes when I'm four. And this is the first time I'm seeing that because of the way I look, people are not willing to come close to me as if I'm scary, as if I'm dangerous inherently. Mm -hmm. And for you to say that your children, no matter what age they are, are too young to be part of this conversation when they're going to school and they're bullying and they are harassing and they are, um, I don't know, exploiting black exploitation, I think about social media and TikTok and pop culture is black culture. And right. your kids are using our music, they're using our dances, our culture to make money, to be honest. Um, but you don't want us as people. That to me is problematic. Yeah. It's problematic. I'll tell you another thing that's problematic. I, you know, I, I often get this thing where um, I'm the good black guy that people can mm. talk to. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, oh, yeah. Not like the other ones. And I think people often think that that's a compliment. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's such a slap in the face when you hear that, because you, 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 on one end, the, the, the pretext is um, the you're not black enough then. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other one like the, you, you, you're, you're OK, mm -hmm. but everybody else that looks like you is, is horrible. And All I just right. want to give people the understanding. That I know people, when they say that, they, they probably mean, well, at least most people, I hope. But. We need to get rid of this monolithic thinking of black, uh, black mm -hmm. this happens with, with I've, I've gotten this from black people as well, where they say yeah. you're not black enough. Right. Mm -hmm. What is black enough? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what does that mean? And yeah. what are you comparing it to? And then the, the idea we talked about tone policing mm -hmm. uh, on, on, I think it was a Friday, it, just because maybe Joey and I might deliver this message to you. It doesn't mean that the anger you get from someone else isn't justified. Mm -hmm. Right. Because Joey and I, we, we were talking before this, the amount of draining, <laughs> the amount of emotional burden that we felt they're like, oh, my gosh, it's only Wednesday. I'm so exhausted. Th that kind of stuff it happens regularly. Mm -hmm. so if someone has come in there, there has to be that understanding of, of, mm -hmm. of that, because I've seen people use maybe a bad experience in their head, mm -hmm. say, well, that's why all of you are like this anyway. You you never want any help, right? I mean, we we hear it. I mean, Absolutely. like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you you, you don't you, you know you you don't you don't actually do the work. We did the work, right? You why don't you? Why are you always angry? <laughs> and this is the context, and, I, and I'll pass it on to you. When you say why are you always angry for something that's been systematically done for hundreds of years, mm -hmm. you are so you're limiting someone's ability to express an emotion. Now, Absolutely. when you are angry. Yeah, right. I mean, I want people to think about this way as a non-black person. If you're angry, you get to experience it. People mm -hmm. are gonna be like, yeah, you're passionate. Mm. You're passionate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And then if a black person's angry, I, I'm six one, right? And I work out. So someone will be like, Oh my gosh, yeah, this guy. Yeah. Right? That's the emotion. So if I have to constantly hide that, and then you're coming in with multiple microaggressions, at some point, I'm going to snap. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think 
for me, what stands out is the ways in which uh, Black people are perceived. Yeah. We have created a myth about Blackness. Blackness in the United States and in the world context is hyperbole. We are caricatures. Everything about us is exaggerated. Every emotion, you use us for your your gifts and reactions. It's always Black women. Because every I'm like, you can't use someone who looks like you. They can do the same facial emotions, right? Yeah. It is, um, I think about Mike Brown and uh, the officer who murdered him, describing him, saying he was 6'5", 280 pounds. He was a monster. Uh, back in the day when the Central Park Five, um, those who were exonerated, the ad that the current president took out describing them as monsters when they were children, 14 years old, the adultization of black children and con- conversely, the infantilization of adult white men is mm-hmm. purposeful. It's part of the system of white supremacy. Who gets to be a kid? Who gets to be an adult? Who is a human being? Who gets to have emotion? That is how deep we're going. Because when awesome. I am uh, on these platforms and I'm talking and people are like, wow, I really, I really like the way you said that or you're very articulate. And I'm like, you like me because I smile a lot. I've yes. been forced to. I go to therapy. My therapist, we talk about why I smile so much to make Same. you feel comfortable. I'm not happy all the time. No, yeah. no, 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 no. But it's for you to see me as approachable. What about me is scary. My skin color, that's what it is. Yeah. Let's own that. Yeah. And that's the thing, by the way. This is, I, I want people, when, when Joey and I are talking here, this is what I want people to understand. The more you own <laughs> what it is that you feel, those things that you deeply feel there, that's why the second day was internal dialogue, the better mm-hmm. you're going to be at this. You have to be mm-hmm. able to say that you have some of these thoughts. Absolutely. And for it to happen, you know, that's, 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 that's the number one thing. Um, nothing that I want to approach is this fear of saying the wrong thing. And that's what jo, jo, Joey and I, mm-hmm. we want to talk about that. But um, we got a lot of that, right? I, I want to do something. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do that. And this here's my thought before before I, uh, if I pass it on is, I <laughs> I think this needs to be clear, right? Mm-hmm. When you're doing the work of being an mm-hmm. anti-racist, it is going to be uncomfortable and very Absolutely. messy, and you're going to yes. make mistakes. But mm-hmm. part of the work <laughs> is doing it anyway, because the reason why it's going to be uncomfortable is because it's going to, it might be your husband, it mm. might be your son, mm-hmm. it might be your father, it might be your colleague, it might be your best friend, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Who harbors some of these thoughts. But you then have this choice mm. of saying, am I going to do the right thing or am I going to be comfortable? Mm-hmm. And then that comes down to what your values are. And mm-hmm. a lot of people believe that they're good people. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you're good people and it's based on your values, how inclusive are your values? And mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a matter of looking in the mirror because mm-hmm. if, you surround, if you're not able to call those things out and you're willing to let those things go, I'm sorry to say, but then you will participate in the white supremacy. Absolutely. But it is, there's so much there. There's so much to unpack there. This um I just posted a infographic about some of the tenets of white supremacy that I, I found this webpage. I was like, this is so brilliant about some of the ways we see insidious white supremacy. So perfectionism is one of them. Um, proof of the written word, uh, patriarchy, those kinds of things. And perfectionism is the one I'm going to harp on here because people don't want to say the wrong thing and they're afraid. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of being called out, called into conversation? Are you afraid of being shamed? Okay, shame is a motivator to do better. If you make a mistake, you apologize, you change your behavior, you move forward. Shame to me is a motivator. That's what I'm looking to do. If I am shamed, if I've done someone wrong, let me take ownership of it. I give myself 24 hours, get up and go. Instead of, I'm going to disappear from this person. I'm not going to talk to them again. 
you've just lost the connection. What you're afraid of, what I'm seeing from people is they're afraid of losing connection. I think about this um, journey to anti-racism and liberation as uh, the hand model. So you're holding hands um, with white supremacy originally. You are born and bred into this socialized society that uh, epitomizes white supremacy. Great. A lot of your family members, I'm talking about your, you at Thanksgiving because I don't have these issues at Thanksgiving with my family. Uh, you're holding on tight, right? And then you realize you learn some new things, you learn some different things, and you let one of your hands go and you're holding on to liberation and connection with black folks and people of color. And you're like, great. A lot of people get stuck there and they're like, okay, like I'm towing the line. I'm not going to really address my family and I'm also going to support my friends. But what you really need to do is let go of this hand that's holding on to white supremacy and join over here. Like you, you're afraid of losing connection to your family and your network, but you're, what you're also missing out is I'm going to gain connection to community, to different perspectives, to a different world that you are missing out on. That is to me, um, fear and being stuck only holds you back. I no. cannot help you. I cannot do anything with you if you don't say anything. If there's nothing that will distinguish you from those who are actively participating in racism, there's no distinction. Yep. And, he, and that's so well said. I, I love it. And I'm looking at the comments. Shame is a motivator. Great wordplay. Yeah, shame is a motivator. You know, ah, people are loving you, Joey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, uh, you're reminding Lily of uh, <laughs> great Ange- mm. my answer quote do the best you can until you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it, it, I, I think about it this way, right? So, and that one of those one of the one of the questions that I saw had to do with why do I have to lose privilege or why do I have to lose mm. something? I don't know if it was not understanding of the world, but the, the the thing is, when we talk about white supremacy, it means that the privilege is stacked up. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a very imbalanced thing, right? Yes. Your privilege was powers giving you way more access than is available for other people, people of color, and black people, mm-hmm. black folks, and so. When I'm thinking about privilege, which comes with the with the uh, with the with the shame thing here, is yes. first of all, if you really say you want to do this work, you have to understand that you're going to lose something, yes. right? Or some things, mm-hmm. right? You might lose followers, you might lose, I don't know, like that prime position and Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. <laughs> donating, funding, or any of that. And I'm seeing a lot of comments, seeing a lot of comments. Oh, I've lost 100 friends. Oh, I've lost right. this. I've lost that. That's by the way, should be, I find that as a great visual for you to see who, who in your network believes what you believe. And mm-hmm. I think that, that should be something that's a motivator. And, and, and mm-hmm. But I think that also has to be a reality that you have to remind yourself of. And I know that that is something that is, is tough to deal with when you're used to, you know, living a, a comfortable life with your friends and all this. But mm-hmm. I think one thing that you have to do is to simultaneously find grace for yourself, but remind yourself mm-hmm. of the bigger picture. Because mm-hmm. when it's all said and done, would you want to be the person that was comfortable with people that were racist or mm. someone that fought for the big picture to dismantle a system of oppression and made it easier for other people to exist as themselves? Those are the two mm. options. Right. No Humpty Dumpty here, right? There's no Humpty yeah. Dumpty. There's nuance in many places, but this oh. is a nuanced thing. Yeah. <laughs> one so, or the other. I always think about, people always ask me, um, I don't know how to talk to people, talk to people in my life about it. I'm afraid to talk to my, my partner. Let me stop right there. Hold on. The person that you're telling me you're spending your time with, your life with, loving, you are afraid to have this conversation to talk to them about this thing that is directly impactful. 
I think about one of my friends from college who is biracial, black and white. And um, his mom, when he was um, having some difficulties with her, this was during Ferguson, uh, he was like, I'm going to go out and protest. And his mom got really mad at him. And she let out and slipped the N-word, hard E-R. She called her own child, the person who came from her, her own child, mind you. I'll never forget it because he called me crying. He was like, I don't know what to do. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do like, I just feel so distant from her. And yeah. so what do you do? That's how deep-seated we're talking about this stuff. So for you to, it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you're in whether it be an interracial relationship or interracial friendship or wherever, or you are in a monoracial family, you need to be having these conversations. If you love these people and you claim, you will say vehemently that you do, you need to hold them accountable. Kindness is accountability. Being nice is you see um, someone has stepped on a piece of toilet paper and they have it stuck on their shoe. You just ignore it. That's fine. Like being nice is like, I'm not going to bring attention to it. Being kind is, hey, you have toilet paper stuck on your shoe. Or even better yet, go take it off, right? The same way, we're asking you to call the people that you love into conversation, not call them out. I want you to be kind, but also compassionate in the way that you address them. You can do that, but also you need to hold them accountable for what they're doing, for what they're saying, for how they're behaving. Because if you don't do it, if I could come to your Thanksgiving and check your grandma, I would love to. Invite me. I'll be there. Like, save me a plate. I may not eat it, but I'm going to say something, right? But they love you, right? And if if they may not change in that moment, it may not be, and it, it most, most likely will not be a radical change. If that's something that's central to their understanding of the world, makes me think about just world theory, if y'all look that up. Um, if that thing is so central to them and it's going to be changed, it's going to cause a shockwave. If I don't inherently deserve everything I've been given in life, all the advantages, or if I don't deserve all these absent negative experiences that Black folks have experienced, maybe the world isn't just. Okay, so it's going to take you some time. But if you say something, down the line, they're going to be c- continually thinking about that. So Yeah, I also think it's very important to establish boundaries. Um, and And when you think about anything in life, right? When you're growing, <laughs> boundaries are important. And, and unfortunately, I mean, you, 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 many people are not the same friends with people they were before, mm-hmm. right? And the reason is what, you grew apart, you went to different area, you found different interests. Yeah. This is a different interest. If you're not racist, if you're racist, I'm not interested, <laughs> right? If you're committed to being racist and, I, and I, you're not committed to my path and being anti-racist, 
I'm sorry. We don't want the same things, right? But if you, if you want to be friends and we want in again, hey, you can't say this, these things around me and you have to understand mm -hmm. that this is how I believe. Uh, and, and that's, that's that, that, and, and this is just the way it is. And it has to be very consistent. Another thing that I want to say is this is a habit building thing, right? Mm -hmm. One of the frustrations that I have, even being a diversity inclusion consultant, is the amount of reactiveness that this ends up mm -hmm. becoming, or, I, or mm -hmm. I don't want to get in trouble type thing, right? Ooh. If that's your motivate, your, your motivation, right? You don't want to seem like the bad white person. You don't want to seem like, you don't want to seem like, the you know the, the the person that people are going to lose funds or you don't want to get sued, then mm -hmm. you know you still have deeper work to do because it has to be more than that. Mm -hmm. it, it really does. You have to feel that this is wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know, because it, when you feel something is wrong, you're going to do anything in your power to stop it. If someone, right. if your parent, right, and someone mm -hmm. is wrong, my my mom whenever anything happens to us, be like, eh? <laughs> what messed with Pyro? I'm coming here. I'm leaving my walk right now. I'm coming. I'm coming here. I'm like, I want your mom. Everybody, come here. And so, what is that? That is a motivator. She's finding. It's like I'm going to find out any piece of information to make mm -hmm. this thing wrong. That's that's where it has to come from, right? Mm -hmm. If you feel that this is wrong, you will be so motivated to do the research yourself, and you would be so interested in spotting out those situations that that make it horrible and yeah. those systems that is you've said something so profound in this moment because i think about the rhetoric we hear oftentimes when it comes to sexual assault yeah. where it's, uh, it's relational it's relational allyship i have a sister i have a daughter now now i care i have a mom i care about sexual assault you should inherently care because it's wrong. This is wrong. You've committed, people are committing violence, right? Primarily against women in this way. So you're going to tell me that because you know somebody with the gender identity who might potentially be impacted, you care. Mm -hmm. If you really care about racial justice, if you really care about making a difference, you're going to care. That's the difference. I, I shared a, an infographic about how to interrupt racism interpersonally. I talked about like getting in between people and doing that or addressing the person who's most impacted, like a person of color. Or there's a third option, which I'm like really hoping that people really get to, where someone says something, whether there's a person of color or not uh, around, you're like, no, that's not right. I don't agree with that. I'm offended. Not because, I, not because Joey is my friend. I'm offended because it's inhaling wrong. Yeah. That's where you need to get to. Yeah, yeah. I remember there was a, I shared this on one of my lives. So this, I'm gonna make it less, as, less graphic as I can. So. It was a dinner we were having in, in New York, um, and there was this this gentleman who I don't know if he had a lot to drink, but he would just not stop. He was like, I, I was there in my suit. He was like, oh, I'm sure all the opportunities you get is because of your big black, like thin. And then I was, it was just, he was out there, and he, he was, and he kept going and going. And it was a someone's birthday party, and so I was doing this thing in my head, like, oh, it's not your birthday. Maybe you'll just don't try and cause it. Because I, I, then I was like, what, what, do I need to? <laughs> but you know what happened? None of them said anything. Is, <laughs> this was a table of 15 people. <laughs> yeah. And you, you can see the like, what, what, do I? And it kept going on. And I'm like, oh, we, is this like a, a mic? Yeah. <laughs> What's am happening? I like, am I being gaslit right now? That was my entire experience of college was this happened to me. And I'm looking around and people are like, so you're not seeing this too because we are and you claim but let me say that y'all claim to be friends with us right you claim to love black people in your life but you don't say anything because if you love me 
you would say something. Yeah. I shouldn't have to. Like my, you know, I can speak for myself, but I'm always going to say something most more often than not. I'm also picking my battles because we have to navigate white supremacy and organizations and power and positionality. But you know how powerful it is for you? Number one, because you're benefiting from the system of oppression. It's your, it's your burden. It is not mine. Racial oppression does not help me. It doesn't move me forward. You need to address it. Number two, for you, for you to say that you are going to, you're going to call me a friend. I'm telling you, if you call people black friends, I promise you that person's not your friend. They're probably a coworker that you tolerate. Like we tolerate y'all. You don't really know me. You don't actually know anything about me. You've never asked, right? That's um, the other thing. You should know. If you, if you want to find out to humanize someone, really know. Then, you, you know, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Have you been around this thing? You, you, you know, you, you, there's a certain level of thin where blackness in america is so nuanced like for someone like mm-hmm. you like I, we're nigerian but you know i'm i'm perceived as african-american anyway mm-hmm. you're 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 actually a citizen so it's different and, and, and it's in the sense where you're like okay there's the african-american then there's the Ghanaian, mm-hmm. and then even sometimes when you know people are coming over to the Ghanaian side you can you're like you're prepping them you're like okay yes. i don't want you to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. this is going to be here i'm i'm in my head i'm wondering why why do i even need to start prepping you <laughs> for my culture <laughs> How much of myself can I be? How black yeah. can I be in this space? I'm always, I talk about being triple consciousness. W.E.D. Boys, step it up one more because I'm like, yeah. I am betwixt in between worlds, right? Like I am too black for Americans because America, American means white. Toni Morrison said it best. I am too American for my own Ghanians, right? Yeah. And I am too African for black folks. They can tell, yeah. they're like, you have an accent or um, you behave differently. So yeah. where do I fit in if I don't fit in anywhere? Exactly. That's the question. And that is why, that, that, that by the way, when you don't exist, we know a lot of people mm-hmm. to exist. That's why I said it, it happens to black people, black people do it to each other, other immigrants do it to each other. And it's, it's so unfortunate. And with you, it's it's funny. I was saying with me, people just assume, like, oh, this guy's yeah. African American. And I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. no, I'm Nigerian. And I'm I'm having arguments yes. <laughs> about oh, my God. nationality. And I find myself being more Nigerian than uh here than I am back home. But mm. I want to talk about the, something that caused quite a story was it was Karen's, the Karen's. Mm. First of all, let's define this because I, I look. I, I'm not saying no one. Obviously, no one is saying that there isn't any anti-racist Karen. That that is mm-hmm. not the point of the saying. But there was a question about what a Karen is a slur. What do you mm-hmm. have to say about that? Listen here. What we talked about first: education and history is everything. If you know the lineage and the linguistic development of the N-word. A word so bad, we literally don't even say it. We call it the N-word. It has a hyphen. You cannot compare this word that has been used to brutalize, to dehumanize, to discard, and to execute Black folks, right? For you to compare that is wildly disrespectful in so many ways. And there's there's a movement in some circles, specifically for Black folks, to reclaim the N-word, just like the word queer has been reclaimed in some queer communities, right? But not everyone subscribes to that. To me personally, I'm not a fan of the N-word. I say we can let it go. I think there's too much history behind I'm not, it. I'm not a fan of it either. But I'm but, but, but at the same time, but at the same time, I don't I don't I don't expect any white person to Correct. even come, to come up with any definition. If no, I, a black person wants to say it's fine, it's not right. Right. It's, it's your prerogative. I'm like, but you shouldn't be arguing to use yeah, the right. N-word in the first place. You have the agency. I think that's what it is. And I think yeah. for me, um, where it goes back to is this idea of um we are dehumanizing people with this word. Yeah. There's nothing I can do or say as a black person. Interpersonally, we, I can have prejudice against you. 
I discriminate against people. That's what I do. We've learned and we socialize. We've been socializing this way. But systematically, systematically, systems, institutions, that's what we're talking about. I cannot prevent you from getting a job, from getting a loan, from getting a house, from accessing education, from getting resources by calling you a Karen. That's, that's exactly, what it is. That's exactly right. The, the, the most that the Karen, someone's saying a Karen to you can cause you maybe to be embarrassed, right? But you are not going to lose anything. And no. if someone said Karen <laughs> randomly, and it's, you know, it's not going to actually affect your, your life. Yeah. It's actually not going to kill you, no. right? But no. it, it kills wow. me, you know, yes. there's people's lives that are, that are actually there. Um, and yeah, maybe we'll get to a point where it's not Karen or Becky or any of these mm-hmm. words. But the point is, these type of behaviors, and that's the thing I don't want people to, I, I never want people to distract themselves from the narrative because we saw that with Colin Kaepernick, the flag, right. uh, this, the thing, the whole point of the Karen thing is weaponizing whiteness, right? Mm. That's the point of it. That's mm-hmm. what that thing is. So I always want people to remember that. And so if you find yourself in a position where you're seeing someone weaponize their whiteness, like I'm going to call the cops, I'm going to, I'm going to go to such extreme measures to make your life miserable because mm-hmm. I feel uncomfortable in this moment, or I'm not sure what's happening. And I feel like you're suspicious. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. I'm going to go to this. This is where you, you people are talking about allyship. There needs to be something done. And you you need to be able to say, no, 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 no. You can't do that. It it's, it shocks me because this whole narrative of, of Karen really gets to me where that we can see that every marginalized group, for, to my knowledge, in, across uh, identity, has a word that has been weaponized and used against them. If I remember all the times, I've, I remember every single time I've been called the N-word. I got called the N-word last semester, uh, walking back from a final exam with two of my friends. They'd never, they were shocked. We were walking down the street, coming back from a bar after we just took a 12-hour uh, legal exam. And this, this white guy in an Uber rolls down the window and says, hey, you, N-word. My friends start running. I'm like, hey, 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 relax. We're in law school. We can't get in trouble. We need to pass character and fitness. I'm paying too much. I'm going to graduate. Like, let's go. But back in the day, it really used to get to me. That word and how it makes me feel dehumanized, just like destroyed. It used to have so much power over me. I I wrote a blog post called Black Kryptonite because it happened to me in college three times where someone had spray painted the N-word on my door. That is an act of violence. You are telling me that I don't belong here, that I don't deserve to live. That's what that word means to me. Me calling you a Karen doesn't do anything to you like that. It doesn't remove your soul. Yeah, yeah. And if, if you want to talk about the Amy Cooper thing, I mean, by the way, th- I want to use that as, as, as another example because let's say Amy Cooper could could be a stark raven liberal. I mean, she mm-hmm. might have donated to several causes, but the, da- the reason why we spent this first week on really awareness is what happened the moment Amy Cooper felt scared, even though mm-hmm. it was a bird watcher, what was the first thing that she tapped into? You know, that's what happens when you're not unlearning. And the thing is, when people talk about what can I do, I'm not doing enough. It's don't underestimate the power of education and unlearning because you are training and rewiring your brain. Your brain is, you know, is malleable, which means it can take different different pieces of information. But your brain also only works with what it, you know, you put in there. And so. If your exposure to something is constant negative things and and you feel like, well, I know that's wrong, but you haven't really worked through it here, that's what's going to happen. I'm, t- yes. I'm guaranteeing any good, well-meaning white person, mm-hmm. if 
you haven't worked through this and you don't make it a habit, when you are scared or something, you're going to resort to whatever you feel like you need to do to protect yourself, which could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm hearing, <laughs> that was timing. I don't know. I guess firecrackers outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is it's deep. I think yeah. about so many times where I'm just in public and the fear that people have, but they are well-intentioned. Um, just like being in a room or being at Whole Foods, being at Trader Joe's, me being bougie. I'm out here in the, in the aisles and I will be, I'll say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Let me talk about white supremacy in the way that it uh, shows up as entitlement, mm. right? Who just crosses the street and doesn't look around? Who leaves their cart in one part of the aisle and then on the other side? I think about the ways that I've been made to shrink myself physically and mm. ideologically where I am, before you've even come by me, my cart is already over. I'm already made room for you. I know you need to come by. I will never, you'll never have to ask me, excuse me, multiple times. I'll be saying it or I'll say it and people won't move, which is a power play. And then if I'm there and they'll be like surprised and they'll jump. Like me literally existing is so terrifying to you. I think about how the police have been used and weaponized as a personal uh, security service. That's what we're talking about with this Amy Cooper thing. The police, you're calling them as your personal uh, secret service. When I am walking on the street and a police officer uh, is holding their gun, they're holding it on the side and they say, how you doing, sir? And that, that, is, that is not to be nice. It's not to be kind. It's to say, hey, I see you. Yeah. Negro. That's the what same it thing. says. Yes. The same thing. No. I want you to know that I see you. <laughs> mm. You know, I, I mentor a kid in, in, in Harlem. He's, uh, mm. he's, a, he's Hispanic, but he's grown up in a black neighborhood. And um, mm-hmm. I remember there was this instance where uh, we, I was taking him out. Just, I'm part of Big Brother, Big Sister. I've been his uh, Big Brother for almost four years now. And he was he had this urge to just run to a cop and take the gun. And I was like, whoa! <laughs> and it was me. And I, was, I had to tell him, I was like, yo, let me, there are many consequences here yes. right now. Yes. You run in there and I'm there with you. I, I don't know what the reaction is going to be and all of that. And, and I, had to, I was like, hey, look, Victor, look, this is not, it's not for play here we can't we can't do um you know we can't have these type of resistance here so it's it's mm-hmm. it's already in your head and that was my first thought i was like yo if if this goes wrong no one's gonna listen to the, this as being no. a kid or anything i mean even think of tamir rice like mm-hmm. all these people that are just naturally trying to do something in my head think about a black kid that kid is not gonna the parent parent would have told the kid hey force yourself not to be that curious yeah. Try yes <laughs> talk to oh my gosh the yeah. loss of adolescence. Yeah. I think about um, my supervisor from grad school, um, white man, handsome, love him to death. Like this, this person has really showed up for me, Matt. Um, when he was having his second daughter, um, Anna, I uh, was the one he called to go babysit his first son, Avery. Avery uh, ran out of like fruit snacks. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take you to Target. Let me tell you, this blonde hair, blue eyed, like the cutest kid ever. I was like, okay, let's go. His parents are at the hospital with their with his sister. And so I take him to Target in Cleveland, in the suburbs of Cleveland. So there's me with this white child. And I was like, Avery likes to play games. So he's like, Uncle Jojo, I'm going to say that I don't know you when I get in the store. And I was like, Avery, Avery, <laughs> I beg of you, please. This, we can't, we're, this is not a game today. You can't do this. We go into the store. We go to Target. I remember telling Matt about this when they came home. We had 10. 10 separate people come up to me, not come up to me directly, come up to him and ask, hey, who is this? To him, a three-year-old, to ask, who is this to you, right? But we're used to seeing the other way, right? Like we see white folks 
who have adopted uh, through transracial adoption or are fostering uh, children of color, right? But they don't get questioned about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What narratives have we um, been indoctrinated into and what do we permit? Who can help who? What, when it's not white savior complex, what issues do we have then? Yeah, yeah. By the way, that's a great example of how people need to check their biases. I mean, all those people that are asking questions, I'm sure they're, they're I'm trying to protect this person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this guy's a this or this guy's a that, but they wouldn't do it if it was the other way around. Um, yeah. Very, 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 very important. And, and then I want to give you, you know, you have a point to talk about with uh, mm. white identity development and racial literacy, the importance of that, because you're, yeah. I know you're very into education <laughs> and, and all that. So, hey, I want to yield the floor to you and then we're going to share places where people can connect with you and, and, yeah. uh, and both of us afterwards. It's awesome. So I think for me, uh, my big message is racial literacy is a necessary learn skill. Just like we learn how to ride bikes, we learn how to brush our teeth, we learn how to read a book. Uh, racial literacy is a skill that we have to learn. I think about racial literacy and not intelligence, right? Intelligence is fixed. Literacy is something we can learn. Um, people of color are forced to have it, right? I've been talking about race since I was four years old, four years old. And for me to be, I think about grad school, uh, studied college student affairs. We were in a class talking about multiculturalism and we talked about white identity development. And one of my classmates, this 42 year old woman who has children my age, I'm 26, said, you know what? I'm really embarrassed. I don't know how to talk about race. I am unprepared. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. I was astonished. I was like, wow, this is really deep and profound. You're telling me you don't know how to even have the words to talk about race. Because whenever we're talking about it, you're sharing other people's stories, right? Who you probably haven't asked to share their stories. I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about your lover. I'm not talking about your black friend who's literally not your friend. I am talking about you. What is your experience with race? I need you to do the work to know the language and the ways that you can talk about race. If your experience with race and racism is positive, that is your story. I'm not going to deny it. I want to hear about it. But when I'm sending you paragraphs of text, when I'm speaking and on a diatribe talking about all my traumatic things, when you want to ask about my racial experience and you respond with a K or you respond with silence, which has been my experience in every academic setting where my white classmates have just said nothing, that to me, that's, a, that's number one, a power play. Whether you intended it or not, you have just said, I can take in all this information, but I don't have to give anything. Talking about race and racism has to cost you something. I want you to give your story. I need you to be vulnerable. So you need to learn. The more you do it, the more comfortable you're going to be with it. You need to talk to your friends, your family, everyone in your circle. You should be talking to them about race. Do not only talk about race and racism with people of color because you as a white person have race with or without us. You created this. Whiteness is not invisible. Whether we think of it as not, uh, think of it that way or not, it is not invisible. You have race. Own it. Talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and to your point, um, this is one of my best friends here. Austin is, uh, uh, he's in Lily's account, I'm guessing. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was chatting with another person in Microsoft mm. who, was, who immigrated from Nigeria early this week. He told me a story of showing up at a prospective intern day and seeing an employee who had dreadlocks. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, and I'm sure, by the way, this is, by the way, I'm sure some people will be like, yo, that's unprofessional, right? Even a black person would say that because where did that, mm-hmm. first of all, where did that thinking come from? Internalized, <laughs> right? Yeah. right? Where did it come from that you would think that? And, and, and that's something that we have to learn. This thing, this thing, uh, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, it's, it's learning, it's unlearning, and it's relearning. 
That that is what mm. you have to consistently think about mm. at this end, right? This is a it's a life skill. It's a it's it's not yes. you know it's the difference between school and education. Education is forever, right? You 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 go to mm-hmm. school, you go here. I get my master's, I go here. Yes. You got to be educating yourself as as deep. People mm-hmm. people are saying I can't breathe. I can't breathe right now, right? This has to be as automatic to you as breathing because mm. if you don't, people are losing breaths. Right, people are losing breaths every time you choose not to say that. Every time mm. you choose to ignore white supremacy, there's another cop stamping his neck on mm-hmm. the life of someone. Yes, because we as a society have become so comfortable with the systems that we have. And mm. this week, we're talking about systems, and I'm going to get into government in one of those days. We can no longer do these every two years, every four years, every year. And, and this particularly really irks me because I initially grew up in a dictatorship. And so anytime mm-hmm. I see anyone not taking the civic responsibility, uh, well, it just annoys me beyond, beyond, beyond anything. Um, you, you, got to, you got to be able to understand that you need to investigate who is mm-hmm. representing you. You need mm-hmm. to hold them accountable. And we're talking about cops. And I'm going to bring this up on Law Enforcement Day. Mayors, DA, mm-hmm. these are the people that you all could have elected mm-hmm. <laughs> that decide who gets to go into what, right? You have yes. to know what you're doing and you have to participate because mm. white supremacists and people that are uh, are uh, trying to, uh, you know, advance their agenda are counting on your complacency. Ooh, Counting on your complacency. That is it. Someone just said they love the idea of becoming racially literate. And I'm like, you know what benefits white supremacy, racial illiteracy, right? When you can't, when you don't have the language to talk about it and you don't talk about it, that's what keeps this going. Because we're talking about police brutality and dehumanization as the, we've all seen that triangle of white supremacy. That is the epitome of it. But what we're talking about that you can actually do tangibly in your world is have these conversations. You need to interrupt behaviors within yourself and within your circle of influence and be questioning and challenging the institutions, the organizations, the churches, the education systems, the healthcare, the government that you are part of. That's what we're talking about. Absolutely. And I just put your uh, put your links and, and things out there. Um, so it, Joe Tang, he's got I put it, I put his Venmo. I put his social justice one on one. So tell me about your social justice one on one in your blog. And yeah. then. Um, yeah, my stuff there. So, yeah, of course. So I've been blogging for about ten years. I started my second semester senior year of high school as a way to just like express myself. I wrote through college, through grad school, through work, and now through law school and life. I'm just writing about like what I've experienced from the world, everything from race and racism to to mourning and death to relationships, friendships, everything, self care. Mm-hmm. Um, it, for me, it's a physical manifestation of my essence, my soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started therapy probably a year, over a year and a half ago, my therapist had seen my blog in my email and he brought up my blog and I was like, oh wow, you really just got like a, you want an in-depth look into my life? My blog is that. Yeah. Um, I picked up photography along the way as a way to connect with people and to uh, reclaim the out- outdoors, which have been colonized and demarcated as white. Like we don't see people looking at us going on hikes, but I went to college in Vermont Vermont, Vermont, where all we do is ice climb, ice skate, Ben and Jerry's, uh, Bernie Sanders, and maple syrup. Uh, that <laughs> Bernie was not a place Sanders, for me. Bernie Sanders and maple syrup. That's it. And, so I know, I uh, me, <laughs> and I think for me, uh, this past week was, how can I take this skill that I've learned and been forced to learn, let me say that, 
when you have people in your organizations and you look at certain people, namely people with marginal identities in any capacity to do diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice work, number one, compensate them. If you're going to ask them to do that work, whether outwardly or converse or covertly, you need to compensate them. But you should, everyone should be doing this work all the time. It's not up to us. Yes, it's to our benefit, but it's also to your benefit because we're adding so much to your organizations. So for me, this week was, how can I transform this thing that I have that I can do that people seem to like into a format that can be accessible in so many different ways? I'm trying to invite you to a conversation you've always been welcome to, always been a part of. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And and for those, um, I put it in the... Uh in the uh, in the links and i'll make sure i put this once this uh live ends i'll put it in the in the um uh, description there but um yeah make sure you, you follow him on instagram you check out his blog um you compensate him <laughs> Please. uh but he he's you know he's, he's someone who's trying to do do it on two fronts education and 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 law right he's 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 taking time out of his law, uh, you know, sc- uh, curriculum right now to to educate uh, you all for this. So uh, it's been it's been a real pleasure, though, and I'm, I'm glad that people got to meet Joey Tang today. <laughs> what an opportunity! Thank you so much for sharing this space with me, for amplifying my voice, and for being in solidarity and witness. Like I felt so much joy just talking to you offline today. I'm like, wow, this person really. Oh, I see it. Like this yeah. connection on so many identities. So I'm really grateful to be here with you. Thank uh, you so much. The pleasure is mine. And so, um, ladies, gentlemen, gender non-binary individuals, see you tomorrow because day eight is 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 there. Uh, and use your difference to make a difference. All right. Awesome. Peace. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.